0: Welcome to House of David Ministries. I'm Pastor Eric Michael Teitelman. Join me as we learn about the rich heritage of our Christian faith. In each episode, we explore a unique topic that will deepen your knowledge of Christ and who we are as His people. In this episode, we will learn about the soul of man and how in Christ, God is redeeming our soul from our old nature of sin and corruption. We read in Genesis chapter 2, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. In Hebrew it is called Nishmat Chaim. And man became a living being, a living soul. Nefesh Chaya. God created man in His image. Male and female He created us. We are a complex being comprised of a body formed by the hand of God and made from the dust of the earth and a soul, a spirit that God breathed into us. While certain basic instincts and emotions chemically derive from our physical bodies, our God-breathed souls contain the more profound essence of who we are. For this reason, we are not like any other creature. Judaism teaches that our soul is comprised of three parts. The breath of God, called Neshema, the wind of God, the ruach, and the soul itself, called the nefesh. These function as one singular and indivisible unit. The word nefesh comes from the root nefash, which means rest. It is interesting to see how in Christ God has promised us eternal rest. The Lord has promised to give us an imperishable body and a soul that will rest forever in His Spirit. Yeshua demonstrated this when He said in Luke 23, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Some theologians refer to our created nature as a triune of the body, soul, and mind, even comparing us to the triune nature of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Bible, on the other hand, tells us that we have a physical aspect and a spiritual one. In other words, we have two parts. One is temporal and the other is spiritual. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Yet our physical and spiritual bodies are indivisible and they function as one organism. They are incomplete and cannot operate in their fullness without each other. The spirit of man is the exact image of who we are but lacks any physical attributes unless it is housed within a physical body. All the parts of man work together as one complex being. Our physical side comprises our brain, which processes our thoughts, memories, emotions, and feelings, and our spiritual nature, which contains our soul, which gives us volition and consciousness, and brings life to our inner man. Scientists are incapable of studying the spiritual realm because they cannot tangibly connect with it. However, for us who believe, and this belief comes from God, we know that we are more than just flesh and bones, and that deep inside every person is a soul that thirsts for something beyond this temporal world. Our soul yearns for the supernatural. As we read in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts. We know this present body will eventually die and return to the earth. Our soul, on the other hand, which came directly from God, has an eternal quality to it because God is eternal. He took part of himself and placed it in each person. So therefore, our soul came from God's innermost essence in the same way that breath comes forth from a person's lungs. And because our soul was initially part of God, in Jewish thought, it has immeasurable value. Everything else in existence was created out of nothing, ex nihilo. It has lesser value because of its created nature. But how can we measure the value of something that came from God? Well, this is impossible. For this reason, Yeshua said in Matthew chapter 13, Lay up for yourselves treasure which your souls in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. These treasures, I believe, are the souls of men and women that we have led into the kingdom of God, and everything else in this world is temporal and perishable. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 7, The flesh sets its desires against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. So therefore the flesh of man will die and return to the dust of the earth. And with our imperishable bodies, the Lord will bury forever His righteous judgments against our flesh for the sins that we have committed in the flesh. He will also execute His final judgment against every unredeemed soul. Thus, Yeshua warned His disciples. In Matthew chapter 10, He said, Fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. But in Christ, our soul is being redeemed to be resurrected into a new imperishable and incorruptible body. In scripture, the soul of man is called the heart. And the heart of man is the seed of our emotional and intellectual life, and out of the heart flows our moral and spiritual as well as our physical being. The heart is also the seed of thought, emotion, feeling, volition, and consciousness. In Hebrew, it is called Mahashibot Libo. So therefore, in Judaism, the mind, heart, and soul of man are considered one. Yeshua said in Matthew 22, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And he was not telling his disciples to love God with three separate aspects of our created being. He was telling us to love God with our whole created being, our body and our soul. And he was telling us that everything within our created being, our thoughts, our emotions, our feelings, volition, and consciousness, was to love God first and primarily above anything else, even our own flesh and soul. At the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, humanity became separated from God. And through this separation, our bodies and souls became corrupt. As we read in Jeremiah chapter 17, it says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? However, God had made provision in Christ for atonement and redemption of our fallen souls through the shedding of His blood. In Leviticus 17, we read, The life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. The blood sustains the flesh, and without it there is no physical life. And that which sustains our soul is the Spirit of God. And without His Spirit, there is no life at all. In Christ, God has given us a new heart and a new spirit, and He has made us a new creation in Him. So while we now have a new spirit that is connected to God and sets our hearts on the things of His kingdom, the brain and mind which process the deeper aspect of man's soul must still be renewed daily. So why is this? Well, because our brains are wired to remember the old rebellious nature. And this memory, coupled with the lust of the flesh, continually taunts us to return to our old sinful ways. So for this reason, the Apostle Paul acknowledged this battle raging in our minds. So let's talk about that part next. The human brain is the most remarkable organism in existence. Without the brain, we are unable to think and to reason. But even more importantly, we are unable to feel and express the deepest emotions of the human heart. So therefore, the brain acts as the portal that connects our physical and spiritual natures. It both processes and feeds to the heart the things we experience in the natural and expresses in the physical realm the things we feel deep inside our soul from the spiritual. So we need to think of our brain as a very complex computer, but keep in mind we are far more than machines. We are sentient beings, and our brains can learn, adapt, store, program, and be reprogrammed. This is not artificial intelligence. It is intelligence. When our spirit responds to something physical, the brain chemically produces our reactions and feelings. And conversely, when our body reacts to something spiritual, these reactions and feelings again are processed in the brain so we can experience them as well. If we set our heart on hateful things, our brain is likely to process hateful things. And if we set our heart on loving things, our brain will likely respond with warm feelings. When the Spirit of God touches the heart of man, the involuntary response will affect both our spiritual soul and our physical being. The result is feelings, emotions, and even physical stimulations such as tears or goosebumps. God is spirit, and yet he is very real and physically present in our lives. External experiences can also influence or trigger inner emotions. If someone treats us with hate, we are likely to respond with our own hateful or fearful emotions. But our brains can reason with our feeling and emotions and even suppress and override them, resulting in actions that might be contrary to what we are experiencing. For example, we might feel anger toward a person because they mistreated us. But the Holy Spirit can stimulate receptors in our brain that remind us to love even our enemies. We read in John chapter 14, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. At that moment, we might not feel any loving feelings towards the person, but we can surrender to God and rationalize the proper biblical response. As the Lord said in Isaiah chapter 1, come now and let us reason together. So next, I want to talk about the fall of man. We read in Genesis chapter 2, and God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So here in the garden of Eden, man walked in intimacy and fellowship with God. We were spiritually connected to him as one. So mankind had not yet sinned, and there was no death. There was no separation between God and man. We were his children. Adam was called the son of God. But soon after, a struggle began in our minds. This was a battle between the will of God and the will of man. And later we read about this cosmic struggle in the book of Genesis. In chapter 32 we read, And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the ascending of the dawn And he saw that he had not prevailed against him, and he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip socket was unhinged as he wrestled with him. And Jacob called the name of the place, Face of El, because I saw God face to face, and my life is delivered. And the sun rose on him, and he passed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. So in this story, we see the Spirit of God wrestling with the soul of man. But God chose to relent and to submit to man's will. But this would only be for a season when man would rule and have dominion apart from God's kingship. And in wrestling with God, humanity has never fully walked upright in all of God's glory. And Jacob also limped on his thigh, and the children of Israel have faltered to this day. For more than 6,000 years, God has allowed man to choose his way, And the result has been a world filled with death and destruction. But one day soon, at the coming of the dawn, the return of Christ, a new day will begin. The Son of God will rise in His glory, and every knee shall bend and every tongue confess that He is Lord. And Yeshua will rule all the nations. The battle we read about between God and Jacob, although told explicitly of Israel, is in fact representative of all humanity. This expression of man's free will was not only the first sin of Adam, but has remained the greatest sin of all creation. Adam's sin was not just willful disobedience to be independent of God, but was an expression of his free will to be just like God. So therefore, the fall of man was more than just a singular act of disobedience, resulting in God's stern punishment against humanity. Adam's desire to be like God created a chasm between man and God himself. So why is that? Well, because God is one, and there can be no other gods in addition to him. And anything else would divide God's singularity and unity of existence, and he will never allow this division. Nothing can exist without him, and everything that exists does so because of him. God will never copy or replicate himself because he is one. As the Lord declared in Isaiah chapter 42, I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will not give my glory to another nor my praise to graven images. There is nothing within God that is divided, and even the entire creation is unified with him and would not continue to exist without him. He created the world out of nothing, and the world would cease to exist if he removed himself for even one moment. Because something created out of nothing cannot continue to exist unless the one who created it wills for it to live. So in our desire to be independent and separate from God, we have become orphaned children. And worse, we have actually died. And now that we are equipped with the knowledge of good and evil, humanity has gone in a direction that has and remains in opposition of God's desire in every sense. We read in Isaiah chapter 59, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. In Romans chapter 3, Paul said, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Mankind was not created by God to be sinful. But apart from God, where our focus is entirely on our selfish and lustful desires, we become nothing but corrupt, or even worse, we become evil. Because the greatest sin is idolatry, and the highest form of idolatry is the worship of the self. And this reveals itself as pride and arrogance. As it says in 1 Samuel chapter 15, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Pride directs our steps and motivates our actions, all contrary to God's will. Our sinful nature perverts everything that God created and established as good. God created marriage as a loving union, and man destroys marriage by acts of sexual immorality. And so it is with every aspect of this fallen world. So God has turned man over to his selfish desires, to be in limited control for a short lifespan, but not to live in an eternal body. As the Lord declared in Genesis chapter 3 Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil, and now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Because God foreknew the consequences of man's decisions, that apart from God, we would see our own demise and ultimately cease to exist. We read in Romans chapter 5, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. While we view death as a curse, and it is, for us who are in Christ, God has turned death into a blessing. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? And in Romans chapter 8, we read, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Our physical death now permanently frees us from the bondage of our sinful nature that dwells within our mortal bodies. Our soul has returned to its source, to Yeshua, to the one who breathed his spirit into our physical bodies. And now God is breathing once again as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first man Adam became a living being and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So next I want to talk about God's temporary covering of sin. When the Lord created the nation of Israel, he not only established a governing system of laws that defined God's moral standard of conduct for humanity, he also set up a temporary covering for involuntary sin. But God's Mosaic Law left uncertainty about the permanent removal of sin, and of course it also did nothing to alter our sinful nature. The law did provide the Jewish people with a yearly cycle of repentance and cleansing, but it left an unfulfilled expectation that was intended to direct us towards our need for a Savior, a Messiah, one who would permanently deliver us from this vicious and endless cycle of sin and death. The law of Moses was intended to bring us to that place where we would continually ask this question How can water purification rituals or the sacrifice of an animal Even the sacrifice of our own flesh purify and redeem the deeper parts of our heart and soul. The answer to this question would remain a mystery. The Lord provided three sacrifices in the temple as a temporary covering for sin. The scapegoat, which symbolically removed the personal guilt of the Israelites. The red heifer, which symbolically took away the defilement of death that separated man from God and the living bird offering dipped in water and blood for purification from leprosy, which symbolically removed the death that came from personal sinfulness. Once again, the Old Testament dispensation had no provision within its sanctuary for complete spiritual purification. And although not completely understood, these three temporary sacrificial offerings provided hope for the coming salvation of our Messiah. The full removal of our sin and spiritual redemption, the removal of personal guilt, and the rescue from the ensuing spiritual death were all beyond the reach of the temple and pointed directly to our need for a Savior. Every death, every case of leprosy, and every day of atonement was a call for the Messiah's appearing. Under the Old Covenant, sin was not permanently blotted out or removed, but was only temporarily put away From the people until Yeshua would ultimately come. And those following the law and acting in righteousness were therefore not earning their salvation. They were submitting their will to God and receiving the outward, but not the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, so that he might guard their souls against the shadow of death. As we read in Psalm 116, For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. If we understand that God only required these temporary offerings and sacrifices for their foreshadowing of the coming of Yeshua, then we see that even the covering of sin could only affect the outer layers of the soul. The priests were only given authority to offer animal sacrifices that covered sins that were not attached to the soul. Only those connected to the flesh and the outer expressions of the soul, which are part of our thought, our speech, and our outward actions, As we read in Romans chapter 8, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Throughout Scripture, we are warned against sin because it is sin that hardens our hearts and separates us from God. The more we sin, the more distance we place between God and us. This increasing distance is called the descent of man. King David understood this by saying in Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. But despite our sin, God reaches out to us and then waits for us to respond. We read in Romans chapter 5, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it is our soul, our spirit man, that responds to the Spirit of God. As Yeshua said in Matthew chapter 16, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Next, I want to talk about what it means to be a living sacrifice. For knowing man's fate, God created and foreshadowed a path for our redemption and spoke prophetically to Adam, saying in Genesis chapter 3, In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Also for Adam and his wife the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So therefore we know from these scriptures that our flesh is destined to return to the earth from where it came, and that our short existence in these bodies is comparable to someone living in a tent, a temporary dwelling made of animal skin. In knowing that the punishment for sin was death, God also placed the sinful nature of man in his flesh, allowing a foreshadowed covering for the sins through the shedding of animal blood, thereby sacrificing our physical bodies and freeing our spirit man and the deepest and most valuable things of the heart, our souls, to be redeemed through the blood of Yeshua. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. And like Yeshua, our flesh has also become a living sacrifice. Yeshua told his disciples that he was glorified in his suffering, which was his death on the cross. Yeshua did not receive his glory through his powerful teachings, wisdom, parables, prayers, miracles, or even his miraculous healings. No, even before heaven and earth were created, he was glorified in his suffering. As we read in Revelation chapter 13, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Yeshua told his disciples that he would share his glory with us and then said we would be persecuted for his namesake and thereby exalted in heaven for our suffering. I hear people often pray, send us your glory from heaven. And the Lord said to me one day, Eric, turn to your brother and you will see my glory in his suffering. And like Yeshua, we also will be glorified in our suffering and our flesh will become a living sacrifice unto the Lord as we surrender and give everything to follow him. We reading Galatians, chapter 5, And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We know that our fleshly bodies will not be redeemed, and with it forever will die the sins of our flesh. God allowed the sacrifice of animals to cover Israel's sins temporarily, but He has always guarded our souls because the soul of man is not a creation. It is part of the essence of God. So it seems that the death of the flesh covers the sins of the flesh. But the crucifixion of Christ reaches much deeper into our souls. For only his blood not only ransoms, but ultimately redeems humanity from the sins of the heart. So praise the Lord for his redemption of our souls and our eternal salvation in Christ Yeshua. Amen. If you have enjoyed this teaching from House of David Ministries, make sure you subscribe to our channel and don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. We pray the Lord richly bless you and we look forward to having you join us again for our next episode.